Coming up on This Week in Games, Microsoft's double console strategy is rumored again. Game Pass is also rumored to head to Nintendo Switch. And the man, the myth, the legend officially retires. Coming up This Week in Games. It's that time of the week for your video game industry news rundown. I'm your host, Eric McConnell, and we had a pretty <laughs> polarizing week this week. This week was full of rumors and full of layoffs, so let's kick it off with the rumors because, hey, they're more fun. E3 2019 speculation is kicking off with Microsoft rumored to announce new hardware. So I kind of reported this many months back. It was kind of still in the vague, uh, hey, they're going to release two consoles coming up kind of space but now the rumors are starting to get a bit more uh a bit more information seem a bit more real xbox to reveal two new consoles with one being in the xbox scarlet family of devices now some of you might be like what the fuck is scarlet family of devices the scarlet family of devices is microsoft foray into cloud gaming so one thing that's interesting about these devices is the controller input, image processing, and collision detection will be done locally, and this is all to tackle the famous latency problems with the paradigm of cloud gaming. Um, traditional cloud gaming, I guess, can be viewed as you do inputs on your controller. Those inputs are streamed to a server somewhere. The server then processes the inputs into the game, and then the server sends back the image to the display on the screen. So... If you do Netflix and you stream Netflix, you know, it, you start up a movie, the movie starts up on some server, the server sends you the image back to your screen. Um, this is kind of the same thing except for the extra problem of having input and the heavy computation of running the game on the back end. Now, there's a big latency problem. I, I'm pretty interested in seeing whether a controller input image processing and collision detection done locally actually solves it. I mean, Microsoft seems pretty confident. All right, so let's get on to the rumors. Codename Lockhart will be a diskless Xbox One that costs around $200, amazing price point, by the way, and it will likely be the first cloud gaming device, major cloud gaming device. So the codename Lockhart device, that's going to be the Microsoft Scarlet family of devices, I guess, first device. $200, man, that's such a great price, such a great entry price. It's going to be killer. The next one is a bit more worrying. Codename Anaconda will be the newer version of the Xbox One. Now, both consoles are reported for a fall 2020 release with the Lockhart launch coinciding with the Halo Infinite launch. I guess Halo Infinite's probably... Watch Halo Infinite be a Battle Royale Halo game. I'm not even lying. It probably is. I don't know. Now, I'm pretty... Pretty hype on uh, Microsoft entering the first generation of cloud gaming. I guess this will be like the second or third generation of cloud gaming. Um, however, I really don't like this codename Anaconda that's going to be the newer, kind of flashier version of the Xbox One. It kind of shows me that the company has like a conflicted strategy, and I'm pretty curious to see how they communicate these two completely polarized offerings. Like the Anaconda, the newer version of the Xbox One X what what is it going to cost like $400 and then the cloud gaming device will be $200 how are you going to communicate that to the people uh, i mean there's clearly advantages and disadvantages to both console also 2020 is pretty far out so uh yeah 
interesting uh, news, but more E3 2019 news. Sony appears to be abstaining from the expo altogether, stating that E3 has not kept up with the times. Eh, it's a fair comment. So specifically, E3 was started back in the day when like department stores and physical retail locations needed an expo to see what new games were coming out next year. So if you think about it, I mean, the internet was around, but it wasn't like it was now. And so I think, what was the start at 95, 96, something like that. And before that, games were at CES, which is the, like, you know, the big hardware kind of thing where if anyone has, like, new speakers, it's in Las Vegas. They created E3 to just focus on games. Um, This was back when, like, Sears and Macy's sold video games. And there wasn't just GameStop. There was a billion game retailers. And so all these companies needed a place to go to kind of be wowed and showed what's coming out next year. So then they can put their purchase orders for those, you know, like consoles or games coming up. So they'd send people and then, you know, some big wow first person shooter was shown. They might like want to buy millions of copies ahead of time. If some other game was shown, it was kind of a dud. Maybe they'd like not buy as many so it was this big like thing and a big presentation to kind of like allure these uh retail locations to buying your games when they came out now that physical game purchasing is pretty much on a steep decline sony believes e3 hasn't evolved to warrant the investment required to go into the expo i don't know the numbers but i've been to e3 a couple of times looking at the booths and everything that's involved it's got to be to the tune of tens of millions of dollars lost uh setting up at e3 not counting whatever the hell E3 uh, makes you pay to just be there. And this is fair. E3 uh, really isn't about retailers anymore. So I see Sony's point. However, yeah, like nobody is trying to get Sears to purchase millions of copies of their game these days. But however, I think kind of like it's it discredits what E3 really is, which is a giant kind of dick measuring contest by the game industry but in a good way. And I don't mean it like in a Mel way, just like that's just the term I decided to use. Um, It is like the one time where the game industry dominates mainstream entertainment news where, you know, Pinterest and everywhere will just be game industry stuff. I mean, I'm not saying we're like dominating it the way the Super Bowl does, but You know, it's the one time where the game industry is kind of like in the limelight everywhere. Everyone's talking about the game industry. Celebrities are talking about what they can't wait to play. And the dick measuring contest part has a network effect. So if every single publisher and console maker is there throwing massive amounts of money to make themselves look better, it actually makes E3 better. You know, the network effect is the more people there, the more money they're fiercely competing each other over the more attention-grabbing headlines they're trying to create, it helps the game industry as a whole, and it helps us enter kind of the mainstream casual entertainment market and dominate it, at least for that weekend or week, okay? You know, Nintendo's pulled out. Uh, they still do Nintendo Directs. You know, they, they claim they pull out, but some years they still have massive floor space on there. Sony pulling out kind of sucks. I don't know. I don't know why they're doing it. It's kind of up to them, but... We'll, we'll see what actually happens. This could be just like, you know, talk to negotiate better terms or something. But I think Sony should hang on where they are. You know, it only helps the industry by having this. You can have your Sony events as well, but at least maintain the presence there for the sake of the industry. 
All right, so those are the E3 rumors, but Microsoft didn't stop there this week. So another big Microsoft bomb was that it reported that Microsoft Game Pass is officially heading to Nintendo Switch. So there's two stories within this. First, Microsoft is publishing some of their Microsoft exclusives to the Switch, and it's starting with Ori and the Blind Forest. That's very interesting. Um, Second, Microsoft will release a Game Pass app that will allow Switch users to access Project X Cloud, that's Microsoft's cloud gaming service, on Switch devices. This effectively enables Switch to play much more higher-end games that the Switch can't natively support because of hardware specifications, and it effectively gives Microsoft an amazing portable console that's already widely adapted for xCloud use, and this is big news i'm telling you people this 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 might be the biggest news and the fact that all these major game websites don't just have this plastered front page and a giant banner and like a big what the fuck is going on moment it it actually annoys me (laughs) like this is as big as big news could be this may be one of the biggest news drops in history if this is true Microsoft to put their Project X Cloud on Nintendo Switch devices. Microsoft was already poised to dominate the cloud gaming generation when it swallowed up mass amounts of game developers, and due to kind of its success in current gen and previous gen consoles, and its success in Azure's cloud services in general, teaming up the Switch might tip the scale in the favor so much that I can't see anyone challenging them. Like effectively, you have Microsoft who already dominates kind of the PC market operating system. They already dominate uh, like kind of one half or one third of the home console market. They have tons of exclusive IP, tons of exclusive games. They've been in the game uh, kind of running for generations. And now they're teaming up with a switch to giving them a portable device and a device that like, if you think about the Venn diagram of Xbox One owners and Switch owners, I guarantee you of all the three major consoles, those two are the furthest apart. You know, PlayStation and Xbox are close. You know, maybe PlayStation and Switch users are close, but Xbox One and Switch users probably the furthest apart. So the fact that they're teaming up with Switch users, just genius. Just genius all around. Great for Nintendo, great for Microsoft. And Microsoft said they want to get Xbox on every device. I didn't know they meant other competitors' consoles. And it's pretty interesting. Um, For those of you unaware, I was pretty unaware until I researched this story. In Japan only, Nintendo actually tested cloud gaming with Assassin's Creed Odyssey and Resident Evil 7. But it hasn't announced a widespread, widespread plan for cloud gaming for the company as a focus. So this just makes this all more interesting. Um, Hats off to everyone. I'm curious to see how this ends up. This is pretty good. All right, let's plow through some bad news. I have to do it, guys. It's part of the game industry, but I hate doing it. All right, following Activision Blizzard's layoffs last week, other game companies dropped depressing news themselves this week. So let's go through it. Fire Monkeys. EA's Australia studio lays off around 50 employees. So Fire Monkeys was born in 2012 from the merger of Iron Mint and Iron Monkey Studios, or Fire Mint, sorry, and Iron Monkey Studios. The studio is responsible for Real Racing 3, The Sims Free Play, and Need for Speed No Limits. Yeah, I mean, 50 employees is a lot, and the remaining employees basically say that they expect the studio to shut down altogether. EA is being pretty nice. They're trying to match employees with other EA studios based on talent. A lot of those employees probably don't want to leave Australia, so they'll probably leave the EA family in general. 
Sad news. All right, more sad news. ArenaNet is expecting big layoffs. So Kotaku reports that the developer Guild Wars 2 was reported to lay off a significant portion of its 400-person staff. No word on how many this will affect, but current employees say they have been handling pretty graciously, uh, talking them through the process and offering decent severance. I think next week we'll probably have uh, some more final numbers on how many people the 400-person staff was laid off. Probably a lot. I mean, Guild Wars 2 um, wasn't really the success, I guess, ArenaNet thought and hoped it would be. And so, yeah, it's sad. Sad, sad, sad. All right, next up, Nitro Games is laying off a significant portion of its staff as well. So 30 employees, over half of the 51 employees at Nitro Games will be laid off. The Finnish studio cites underperformance of their latest game, Heroes of Warland, which to me is might be the most amazingly generic title I've ever heard um, as the reason for the layoffs. And finally, Razer cuts 2% of its workforce. Razer will lay off 30 employees due to cutting back projects in its mobile division. So speaking of Razer, I'll segue this to the other story. Razer has officially closed their digital store after 10 months of operations. So in a world where a voice and chat company and, you know, a game publisher trying to take a chunk out of Valve, Razer was the first to wave the white flag and close its digital store. The Razer game store went live in April 2018, and its main selling point was kind of like, you buy games in a digital store, and we'll give you discounts on the Razer hardware that actually props up the company. Obviously, that didn't work. Um, I don't see a lot of these digital stores that attack Valve really working, but we'll see what happens to Discord, Congregate, Epic, and all the other digital stores that kind of came up in 2018 or early 2019 uh, the rest of this year. All right, that's the rumors and bad news. Now let's get on to the business news and <laughs> my favorite company of all time. And I don't say that with sarcasm. They're my favorite company in terms of this podcast. The company that keeps on spending needs more resources for its war chest, and that is THQ Nordic. So THQ Nordic raises another $225 million to make additional acquisitions. THQ Nordic released a statement on the $11 million Class B shares issued, and that it intends to use the proceeds to finance new acquisitions of franchises, game development studios, and other assets which comp- complement the operations to enable a higher rate of investment in the development of the company. Now, CEO Lars Wingeforge spoke with GameIndustry.biz, and he said, by not using aggressive debt like loans and bonds, as many other companies do, we put all our stakeholders in the same boat. It also creates a safer long-term environment for all of our great employees and business partners that don't have to worry about our balance sheet for the next paycheck. That's true, but you've fucking diluted your stock pool so you kind of pissed off investors i mean a lot of these investors i think three of the six investors of those 11 million uh class b shares were previous investors and for those who don't know i'm pretty sure they're class b shares you don't get voting powder so you're just investing hoping that kind of like this asset which gives you no power in the company kind of like appreciates so you can sell it off later uh i i don't know i I'm not an expert on stock, especially game industry stocks raising uh, money through diluting shares. I don't think it's a good idea, but clearly three of the six investors this round um, were repeat investors, so they think it's a good idea. Who knows? Um, <laughs> I can't even rattle off, though, the acquisitions THQ Nordic has made. This might be, they might have overtook an EA for most acquisitions. 
Hell, in the first two months of 2019, they acquired three game companies. It's not even, February's even over, and in 2019 alone, they acquired three game companies. This, this company needs to be stopped or they're going to own the entire game industry. So 2018 saw THQ Nordic bring in a revenue of almost $450 million, though I think it's a small amount considering what they've spent on acquisitions. I didn't r- rattle up the uh, spreadsheet, but 450 is not a lot. I went on a small rant many months ago about whether I'm dumb and THQ Nordic is a genius slowing or slowly taking over the industry or THQ Nordic's dumb and is really just a giant Ponzi scheme for acquisitions. That being said, I sincerely hope their finance department is full of these like awesome quant ninjas and I hope everything works out for them. I'm waiting to see what they do. I mean, 2019, all right, 2018, you went on a, a tear of all tears of acquisitions. 2019, let's see it, guys. Let's see what THQ Nordic's about. All right, last business news, come to us. I think that's how you pronounce it. Acquires 51.9% stake in Day7. Come to us as a big Korean publisher. Day7 is a kind of mostly interactive fiction company. I guess the only interesting part of the story is Day7 has 30 different interactive fiction games to its name. And that's pretty interesting because, uh, you know, you don't really think about interactive fiction really succeeding, especially when uh, Telltale kind of like dropped the ball on that entire genre. Come to us effectively buying out controlling interest in day seven is a uh, pretty interesting i guess uh, there is a place for interactive fiction to live out there anyways all right we have three people news and then we're done avalanche founder and coo christopher sunberg departs after 16 years christopher founded the company known for kind of mainly the just cause series but they help with a few other games and id and bethesda's portfolio he founded the company 16 years ago in his kitchen, uh, kind of just cranking away at games. He has not said what he'll do next. Probably just burnt out. I don't know. That's my guess. Another COO departs as the improbable COO Bill Roper leaves. He stated he wants to return to game development. Makes perfect sense. Uh, when you work in a B2B industry on a B2B product, you get to see amazing things created with your tech every day. Um Probably got jealous and wanted to go make amazing things with that tech. He will join Author Digital to work on narrative-driven RPGs. And finally, the story of stories. The man, the myth, the legend, Reggie Phil's aim to retire as president of Nintendo of America. The man wants to level up more time with his wife, family, and friends. Um, What can I say? He served as president since 2006. He's been with the company 15 years. Reggie... I personally think was universally loved by fans and developers. I remember when he came on the scene, he was kind of the butt of a lot of jokes, especially on internet forums. But, you know, he quickly won everyone over. Personally, I remember Reggie helping Nintendo understand the value of community-ran Super Smash Bros. tournaments and actually attending Evo himself to hand out medals to contestants who finished in the top eight. He always seemed to really understand kind of like what fans loved about Nintendo. He was very playful. He made like skits every now and then at Nintendo Directs. There's an amazing Nintendo Direct that I'll always remember that I think it was uh, Miyamoto, Reggie, and Iwata, the former, uh, the now deceased former CEO of Nintendo, and they were all hand puppets, and it was like a playful, fun Nintendo Direct, and they appeared behind their hand puppets or something like that fun guy 
universally loved, seemed to really understand and love the product, love the fans. What can you say? Reggie, you deserve it. Um, see you on the other side, man. He'll re- be replaced by Doug Bowser. So that means, yes, the head of Nintendo America will be Bowser himself. Let the jokes uh, proceed. All right. That's it. I'm your host, Eric McConnell. Come back next week. Let's break down some game industry news, and I'll see you guys later. Bye.